Good morning. Welcome again to the online service for South Suburban Christian Church. However you're joining us, whether you're on our online.church platform, whether you're watching uh, via our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash South Suburban Christian Church, or if you're listening to our podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast, we welcome you today. We are excited as we are beginning a new series in a new year, Dangerous Prayers. Uh, over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at the lines or the petitions uh, of an old Celtic prayer and uh, trying to uh, dig into God's Word and discern uh, what, it, what it is that happens when the people of God pray. Uh, today we're looking at uh, from the Gospel of Mark as we begin this series, uh, gospel, the Gospel of Mark chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 46. So if you have your Bibles, would encourage you to read along with me from Mark chapter 10 and verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to Jesus, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and follow Jesus on the way. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. Well, as I said, over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at five petitions or requests uh, that are preserved in a Celtic prayer. They are, well, dangerous prayers. But they are also words that give us a new heart for a new year. So if you would, I would invite you now to pray with me this ancient prayer. Lord of my heart, give me vision to inspire me, that working or resting I may always think of you. Lord of my heart, give me light to guide me, that at home or abroad I may always walk in your way. Lord of my heart, give me wisdom to direct me, that thinking or acting I may always discern right from wrong. Lord of my heart, give me courage to strengthen me, that amongst friends or enemies I may always proclaim your justice. Lord of my heart, give me trust to console me, that hungry or well-fed I may always rely on your mercy. Amen. The first point that I want to share with you this morning is, is that a prayer is a dangerous prayer, because God will answer, and we need to be ready for that answer. Lord of my heart, give me vision to inspire me. 
We're calling this series Dangerous Prayers because these are prayers that are ones in which we are asking God to radically change our lives. We dare not pray them if we are only intrigued with the cadence of the words or uh, the beauty of the sentiments within them. These prayers are visceral prayers. They beg God for gifts from God for which we will be responsible at the end of the days. Lord, give me vision. Give me light. Give me wisdom. Give me courage. Give me trust. There's nothing more frustrating than to be asked by someone for tools or for resources so that great things can be done. And once we have received them, we just sit on them idly and do nothing. So what I'd like to do today and over the next couple of weeks is to dig deeper into this prayer, to dig deeper into God's Word as we go forward into this new year and into the future which God is leading us, where God is calling us, where God is sending us. So the first thing that I want to say to you today is is that it's pronounced Celtic, not like the Boston Celtics, which by the way are ranked sixth in the Eastern Conference, which is better than the Nuggets this year. Now, lots of people will tell you that they can tell you all about the Celtic people, all about the Celtic culture, that it's this and that it's that. And the truth is, is that we don't really know much about the Celtic people or the Celtic heritage, really at all. It's a general name for lots of different people uh, that uh, were across the continent of Europe Uh, We think of them specifically in the British Isles today. And they weren't an ethnically similar people. They were varying tribes, different kinds of people. They did share some commonalities, some commonalities in culture and art and in religion. But other than that, they were a very different kind of people and frankly, not really that organized. And really no written records by which we have any verifiable way of saying this is who they were, this is where they lived. It's, if, if anything, most of what we know about the Celtic people was written by their enemies. You see, we know that the Celtic people were a tribe of people that existed even before Christ, hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ. As a matter of fact, the first recorded mention of them in human history uh, is by the Greeks during the Greek Empire and Alexander the Great when they invaded Greece in the year 279 B.C. and were able to make a small inroad and and settled in in the city that we know today as Galatia. By the time the Roman Empire comes, which is after the fall of the Greek Empire, all we really know about them is that the Romans viewed them as, quote, a very real threat to the survival of Mediterranean culture. Following the fall of the Roman Empire and the expansion of Christianity after the fall of the empire, most of the European tribes in what is today France, Germany, Belgium, most of them were converted to Christianity. And those folks, those Celtic people who were more pagan or barbarian, uh, really were pushed to the northern parts of what we know today to be the United Kingdom in southern Scotland. Now, somehow, Christianity found its way to England even before the fall of of the city of Rome. Uh, Christianity uh, uh, was a a faith that spread throughout the world in very unique and different ways that we really don't understand or have records of. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, by the time Christian missionaries 
get to the British Isles, they're surprised to discover that there are already Christians in the British Isles that they had never known about before. In the 6th century, a guy named Gregory the Great, who was the Bishop of Rome, we call the Bishop of Rome the Pope these days, he had sent uh, a guy named Augustine of Canterbury uh, to convert the English people to Christianity. And when he got there, he was surprised to find that Christians were already there and that they had developed a rather extensive influence in complete isolation from Rome and most of Europe. As a matter of fact, they had existed for probably around 200 years before the first Roman missionary ever got to the British Isles. Well, as is the case in too many kinds of human institutions, the Roman missionaries set out to begin to suppress the Celtic Christians, to suppress their distinctiveness, and to get them to adopt the ways of, of Rome and, and of Europe. Uh, but there were some aspects of Celtic Christianity that did remain. Things like they were a more egalitarian form of Christianity. They, they didn't really understand the office of bishop to be some sort of kingly or monarchial or hierarchical office. Uh, uh, the Celtic Christians were assembled uh, around monasteries or communities, if you will, where, where folks all had a say in, in the life of that community. You might say that the Celtic Christians were the first congregationalists of the, of the Christian church. Other distinctions are offered by historians, but they're difficult to prove. But we do know that, by and large, Celtic spirituality, Celtic theology, tended toward an emphasis on the human response to God's grace. And it gave rise to the importance of human actions as we live in the world as Christians. You, you, you might say that a Celtic Christian would say, it's wonderful that you're saved now. What are you going to do with your salvation? One of the best-known communities that still exists today that seeks to follow and, and discover new aspects of Celtic spirituality is a community called the Northumbria community in the very northern part uh, of the United Kingdom, just north of the city of York and just south of the Scottish city of Edinburgh. In their 800-page book, Daily Celtic Prayer, they describe Celtic heritage and prayers, people who seek to pray and live the life of the Celtic people, that they are, quote, people who simply loved God and followed Jesus wherever the Spirit impelled and empowered them to go. They lit a fire in the so-called Dark Ages that brought warmth, culture, learning, and most of all, faith to a vast number of people, close quote. Well, with Viking invaders coming down on them in the 6th, 7th, and 8th century, surrounded by pagan warlike tribes, the, 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 the purple painted picks to the north, and managing this ancient church uh, from Rome that was coming to enforce uh, beliefs and practices upon them through intimidation, uh, these Celtic Christians may be a model for how we find ourselves today, for we might suggest that we are in a similar situation, centuries apart, but in experience dealing with a culture not that different, mainly because the one thing that is always constant in every single human culture, regardless of their faith, regardless of their ethnicity, is human sin, and specifically the sin of greed, 
and the sin of power. It is that ancient sin that finds its way into human actions time and time again, regardless of who is in charge. Lord of my heart, give me vision to inspire me. You see, when those ancient people prayed that prayer, they expected God to answer it, and they were ready for that answer. Lord of my heart, give me vision to inspire me. The second point I want to share with you this morning is is that a prayer is a dangerous prayer when we are willing to leave our old life behind. A prayer is a dangerous prayer when we are willing to leave our old life behind. In Mark chapter 10, the text that was read today, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he's passing by the city of Jericho. It is the last time that Jesus will pass by Jericho. He is on his way to Jerusalem and when he gets there, he will bear the weight of human brokenness and human sin upon his own back and shoulders as he hangs on the cross. We're introduced to this blind man in the Gospel of Mark This blind man named Bartimaeus, which is such an unusual phrase because the text says his name was Bartimaeus and he was the son of Timaeus, which is odd to me because it's redundant because the the name Bartimaeus actually means son of Timaeus. Bar meaning son, Timaeus, the father of this blind beggar. In many ways, you could say that this is a man who is without a name other than the name of his father. He, he's a blind beggar. Uh, he, is, he is on the periphery, on, on the sidelines of, of human culture and society of the time. He is, as the great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, a man beset with two great evils, blindness and poverty. A man that is plagued, I think, with the same conditions that many of us are plagued with outside of Christ. Blindness and poverty. Slaves and debtors to the powers of darkness. A a, a power of darkness that tries to cover our eyes so that we can't see. People without a name for the prince of darkness doesn't want us to take his name, but enjoys watching us wander around our earthly existence parentless, without meaning or identity. And yet, even as this oppressed, blind beggar lives, he is somehow able to believe. He had faith, we can see. For it was a faith which Jesus himself says would be how he ultimately regained his sight. Where did he get this faith? Well, we're not told in the Scriptures or anywhere else how this blind man came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But I think we can be confident that he didn't come to belief because he saw the miracles that Jesus did. He believed, but it wasn't a result of his eyesight. It wasn't because he had traveled throughout the country listening to Jesus preach to the crowds on the mount in the Gospel of Matthew or to the crowds on the plains in the Gospel of Luke. He wasn't able to pay his passage, for he was penniless. 
We don't really know how he got faith. But I think this is important. Just because you can't see doesn't mean that you can't believe. When this blind beggar heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth passing by, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And though the crowds that surrounded him that were watching Jesus walk down the road, though they rebuked him, probably believing that his blindness was a result of some sin or the sin of his family, Jesus called the blind beggar over to him. And then Jesus asks him a very peculiar question. What do you want me to do for you? I think for me, it's one of the two most astounding questions that Jesus ever asks to an individual struggling with the brokenness of body. Maybe it was because Jesus could see into the man's heart and he knew that Bartimaeus' heart was filled with faith. Maybe it was an opportunity, knowing that this man's depth of faith with, with, with his blindness would be a way that Jesus could use this man to teach a lesson to the others. The crowd that had relegated this blind beggar to the side of the, ro- uh, the, side of the road rebuked him because of their own prejudices at why he suffered such debilitating conditions as blindness and poverty and lameness. Maybe it was that Jesus was going to use this man to teach the crowds how God sees us in our human condition, in our own brokenness, in our own sin, in our own blindness, in our own lameness. Now, I want to look closely at the call and response of this prayer as Mark outlines it for us. This man cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Mark tells us that Jesus stopped and told him, to come to him, told the crowd, call him over to me. Now, now if you have your Bible still open, I want you to look at verse 50, a very important verse that many of us, especially in in suburban United States uh, and even South Suburban Christian Church, might miss. Verse 50, and throwing off his cloak, he, that is Bartimaeus, sprang up, and came to Jesus. One day last week, on one of those bitter cold days that we had, I was driving down Broadway, and I saw a a man walking south on Broadway. His jeans were torn and dirty. Uh, A a thin jacket served as the only barrier between the cold and him. His, His shoes didn't have any shoelaces, and they flopped on his feet as he walked. In his arms, he clutched a quilt. And even that, I could see, was dirty and stained. But he held that quilt balled up tightly against his chest. I I couldn't help but but wonder if that was his only possession in the whole world besides the clothes that he had on his back. Now, having served churches in urban settings throughout my life and ministry, I can tell you that in my experience working with with street people and, 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 and the homeless, that possessions of the poor and the homeless are more than just creaturely comforts or, 
or, or aspects of, 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 of ownership of certain things. The stuff that the homeless people count as important are generally necessities for survival. I have refereed more than my fair share of fights between homeless people in the alleyways near and beside the churches I have served over who owned a particular cardboard box or a stack of newspapers that they would use for warmth in the night. And even once during my time as a police chaplain, I remember speaking to an officer who had responded to a call to a homeless camp just outside of town where a homeless man was stabbed to death for his sleeping bag. Bartimaeus throws off his cloak. It's an odd action for a blind man who may not be able to find it again if he were to let it out of the grasp of his hand. But this blind beggar throws off his cloak, the thing that he probably needed for survival. He isn't worried about it. Does he know that he won't need it anymore? Does he know that he's going to get his prayer answered in just a few moments so that he will be able to find it again if he needs to? Whatever the actual sense, what's important isn't what he has, but what he is about to receive. I think this is really important. Lord of my heart, give me vision. Church, this is a dangerous prayer. It means we will be throwing off those things that kept us secure in our old life because Jesus is about to give us a new life. That's a dangerous prayer. A prayer is a dangerous prayer when we are willing to leave our old life behind. Lord of my heart, give me vision to inspire me. The third point that I want to share with you today is a prayer is a dangerous prayer when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Well, I've already said that Bartimaeus throws off his cloak and he runs over to Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me, he cries out. And Jesus' response to the blind beggar is a question. What do you want me to do for you? That word want in your Bible could also be translated desire, as in, what do you desire that I should do? Which is actually a, a, probably a more accurate word-for-word translation of the original language. The way Jesus constructs this sentence, the, the way Mark presents this sentence to us, could, could be better uh, perhaps uh, 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 portrayed to us this way. Jesus is saying, that which I will do is dependent on what your desire is. Or said a different way, that which I will do is dependent on what it is you desire. That's a dangerous prayer. What's the old phrase? We need to be careful for what we wish for. We've prayed before such prayers as this, Lord, I want to serve you with my whole life. (laughs) Lord, I want to be used by you for your will to convert the world. 
Lord, use me to help those who are in greatest need. Lord, I want our church to seek and reach the lost. Lord, I want to love your word and live according to the call of your word on my life. Lord, I want to stand for you no matter the season. I want to be able to stand for you no matter the prevailing opinions of the world. We we, we say those prayers. And every single one of them are dangerous prayers. Jesus asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Well, it seems pretty obvious to everyone in the crowd, I would think, what Bartimaeus wants. I mean, he's blind after all. He wants to see. He wants vision. But sometimes Jesus wants us to think about it, to ask for it, to desire it, to want it. Yes, it's dangerous prayers. It's a dangerous prayer. Lord of my heart, give me vision. But Jesus wants us to express our trust in him. That at the end of the day, it's his work. And it is he who will do it. But I think in true Celtic fashion, perhaps, we are being asked this question. Are you ready for the answer? Are you sure that what you want is my vision for you? Are you sure what you want is my vision for my beloved church throughout the world? Are you sure you want my vision for your congregation? I mentioned earlier that the exchange between Jesus and Bartimaeus is only one of the strangest questions Jesus Jesus ever asked that I have ever read. The second time a strange question is found in the scriptures is around another healing story, this time found in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. If you have your Bibles handy, turn quickly to John chapter 5 as we look at another healing story where Jesus asks a strange question. Beginning in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda. Your version may say Bethsaida, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, Jesus said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred, and while I am going, another steps down before me based on a tradition that the wings of angels would stir the waters and whoever could get to the waters first would be healed of their condition. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed 
and walked. Do you want to be healed? What is it that you want me to do for you? Today, we're beginning this series in Dangerous Prayers. And we end today with a question that Jesus asks us. Do you want to be healed? What, it, what is it that you want me to do for you? I think as a church, as individual Christians in this congregation, we're already looking at the months ahead. We're, we're actually looking at the years ahead. And here's what I'm asking of you as one of your pastors. This is what I'm asking of us as a community of faith. To pray these prayers over these next five weeks as often as you can with fervency, dangerous prayers ready for God to answer them. This week, I'm asking you to pray just this one line, this one petition, this one phrase of this prayer. Lord of my heart, give me vision to inspire me. Lord of our hearts, give us vision to inspire us that working or resting, we may always think of you. I want you to pray this for yourself, for your family, for your neighborhood, for your small group, for this congregation, for your staff, for your elders. I want you to pray this for the whole church of Jesus Christ. Lord of our heart, give us your vision, for we know it will inspire us. But I can't help hearing Jesus say to us, as he did to that man when he walked down the road in Jericho, as he did to the man in the portico of the temple, do you want to be healed? Do you really want to see? Do you really want my vision for your church, for your life. Well, let me close with this. In John chapter 6, Jesus taught some hard things. You could go back and read it. A tremendous scene as Jesus is teaching, teaching to the crowds. And, and, and these hard things are too much for most of the crowd. And the text actually says that on that day, many of his disciples no longer walked with him. And there in verse 67 of John chapter 6, Jesus turns to his 12 disciples and he asks, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I think I'm ready for his vision it's a dangerous prayer but i think i'm ready and whether i'm ready or not i do know this it is christ who has the words to eternal life it is christ who is the holy one of god and for now for today that's enough for me how about you if you haven't made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, would you do that today? 
say yes to this question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And do you accept Him as Lord and Savior? Nothing more, nothing less. If you've made that decision today, will you click on the button that if you're on our online.church platform, if you're on one of our other platforms or listening to us uh, through our podcast, would you send us an email at office at southsuburban.com? We want to walk with you. We want to pray with you, Lord of our heart. Give us vision to inspire us. Will you pray with me? It's a dangerous prayer, O oh God. But today, together in this way, we join our hearts and our voices, and we pray, Lord of our heart, give us vision to inspire us. In Jesus' name, amen.